Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, Groundhog was wrong. (laughs) Spring is here. May it not go away. Um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 17. Uh, We're in a series together in which uh, we're finishing up the book of Luke that we've been working through together for about a year and a half now. Um, We're calling this this end as Jesus, we're following Jesus here at the end as he makes his way towards Jerusalem, towards his eventual death and resurrection. We're entitling this part, The Revolution of the King. And when you think of revolutions, you know that in any revolution, in any kind of overthrow or turning over of power, there are always winners and losers. There's people who benefit from the revolution and there's people who don't. And what we're going to see in this story and in many of the stories to come is that the people who most benefit from the revolution that Jesus brings into the world are the people that are forgotten by the world, the people that are beat up by the world, the people who are put out by the world, that of all the people in the world, it is those who are most forgotten, most lost, most on the outside that celebrate most the revolution that Jesus brings. And that's good news, not just for them, but it's good news for you and me too. So let's look at this beautiful story together today. Let's pray as we read God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful book that was inspired and given through Luke by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would fill me and all of us here today with the Holy Spirit, illumine your word for us, that it would be so clear who Jesus is and who he is for us, that we would respond to him today with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 17, this is God's word. It is absolutely true. It is given to you in love. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. It was really hard for me to believe that this young man sitting in front of me was struggling the way that he was. He was very put together, very well dressed, um, in his early 30s, good looking, really accomplished, successful uh, as a, as a young um, investment banker. And yet here he was, sitting right in front of me with his hands, his head in his hands. Total despair. He longed to be married. He longed to be in a relationship. But every time he got close to someone, he would be overcome by his terror of rejection and he would self-destruct the relationship. And so here he is, broken and despairing, asking the question out loud, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? She was only 16 when she had her first child. 
When she was a little girl, her family was marked by serious instability and violence. She remembers being really self-conscious about the way that she dressed and the state of her clothes, and she was embarrassed about bringing her friends home to her, home with her, which was always in disarray. And about the age of 10, she was removed from her home and put in the foster system, and she bounced from foster home to foster home, getting the clear message again and again that she wasn't wanted, and eventually she found this sense of being wanted by a man, and now here she was with a child, overwhelmed with life, battling severe depression. She doesn't know what to do. You know, I've changed the details of those stories a little bit, but both of them are true. Both of them describe individuals in our congregation, and both of them are stories of shame. It's a story of shame. And I want to suggest to you this morning that this very beautiful story that is only told in the Gospel of Luke is a story of shame. It's a story of restoration from shame, told through the lens of a leper, one of the most shameful places to occupy in the ancient world. I mean, living in the first century was, let's just face it, probably terrible for everyone, no matter who you were. But it was, it'd be hard to imagine it being worse than it was for a leper. In this context, leprosy is not necessarily the disease that we think about it today, Hansen's disease. Leprosy in the Bible, um, every time you see the word leper, is, refers to a, a very wide array of highly contagious, uh, disfiguring skin ailments and skin diseases. And when someone was deemed a leper, that person became an outcast. They became a pariah in the community. They were not allowed into cities or towns. They had to live in uh, colonies in the rural villages like we find this, them here. They were banished from society. There were laws, actually, that forbade them from coming certain distance from, from, um, from other human beings. As we see in verse 12, they stood at a distance. They were stripped of any ability to economically contribute. Uh, most of the time, they lived in stark poverty and hunger. Physically, uh, they were often disfigured. Uh, they, they, they were often um, disabled. They often stank with a very odious smell. Uh, within the religious community, especially the Jewish community, they were pronounced ritually and ceremonially unclean. They were defiled, which meant they were not allowed into the temple or into the worshiping area, and they were not even allowed into the presence of God. So you see, this skin ailment was the least of their problems. For men suffering like these men, their experience was one of comprehensive rejection. They were rejected in every single way a human being could be rejected. They were rejected socially, vocationally, religiously, psychosocially. They were shut out the way any human could ever be shut out. Imagine the pain of this. Imagine the psychological strain of this. Imagine what it would be feel like. Try to imagine what it would be feel, feel like to be rejected not just by your peers and by your community, but by even your own flesh and blood and even by God himself. I read an interview of a woman in her 70s from Korea named Yong Duk Kim, and she contracted a form of leprosy when she was just a little girl of eight. And for a while, her grandmother was able to hide it from the community but after some time, uh, she began to lose her eyebrow hair, and her face became puffy and distorted, and she was not able to hide it from the community any longer. And so she became, she became an outcast in her small village community in Korea. 
And so one day in this interview, she remembers about her grandmother bustling her to a ship with some luggage, and they took a long trip to an island um, in between Korea and Japan, and she saw her grandmother talking to some men and giving them some money. She could not hear what they were saying, and she saw her grandmother crying, and the next thing she knew, her grandmother was gone. And she said, I never saw anyone in my family ever again. She was 11 years old. And what we're looking at, what we're, the story that we're looking at today, I think, teaches us that Jesus loves women like her. Jesus loves lepers. Jesus loves that man, that woman that I told you about in the beginning of this story. And this is very, very good news. And it is good news not just for them, it is for us. Though it may be hard to believe, looking around this room, because as I look at you now, you all just look so nice and lovely. Uh, in your Sunday best, there are many of us who feel this way, who know the experience of rejection, who know the experience of worthlessness, and who feel like they're on the outside. I know this because I talk to you. The counselor, Ed Welch, was teaching a class in a very nice suburb of Philadelphia. There are about 100 people in the class mostly middle class and educated, ages from 21 to 70. And he was teaching about the experience of shame. And Ed Welch described shame as this deep sense that you are unacceptable, that you are disgraced, that there is something wrong with you. See, shame is not the same as guilt, he said. Guilt is this emotion that tells you you have done something wrong. It's often a positive emotion because you need to know when you've done something wrong. But shame is a negative emotion that tells you not that you've done something wrong, but that you are wrong. It's not just about your behavior. It's about your identity, that there is something fundamentally at your core wrong and broken with you. And he asked at some point in the class, have any of you ever experienced debilitating shame? And he meant it as a rhetorical question. He didn't intend for interaction. He knows how personal these things of shame can be. But suddenly, as if on cue, the entire class raised their hand in unison. His explanation of shame provoked something deep. Shame is pervasive. It's one of the oldest of the human emotions. We see in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve hiding away from God because of their shame. It can result, shame can result from something that you did. Shame can result from something that someone did to you. And it can result from something associated from you, with you. Shame can come from words that your parents spoke to you. You'll never amount to anything. Shame can result from parents, frankly, from, from words that were never spoken to you. Words of affection that were withheld that should have been given. Shame can come from an experience of abuse, a violation of some kind. Shame can result from abandonment or divorce, an experience in which the person that, who was supposed to commit to you has left you instead. Shame can result from a job loss or a personal failure or a major rejection or a problem with health or fertility or disability or physical ailment. Shame is the experience of these lepers. Something about you and internal to who you are makes you feel cast out, defiled, worthless, and rejected. And the good news, friends, this morning that is either for you who experience shame or for someone that you know who experiences this is that Jesus wants to restore you from shame to love. That is the trajectory of this story, a movement from rejection to restoration. And this is what Jesus wants to do for you and me. So let's just look at this story today and look at that storyline, look at that pathway from rejection to restoration, from shame to love. What would it mean for you 
to move on that path also. The first thing uh, that we see that these lepers do is they cry for help. They cry for help. These lepers had heard that Jesus was coming through town. I don't know how they heard that, right? Gossip traveled fast in these rural village communities, and you can imagine them holed up in their little leper colony, talking with one another, trying to decide collectively whether they would venture out into public to get the attention of this rabbi that they heard so much about. But they mustered up their courage, and they went, and you can imagine them sort of slinking through the back alleys and around the margins of the village until they finally see him, and they begin waving their hands, and they cry out, Jesus, Master, help us, have mercy on us. They exposed themselves before the crowd. They, they allowed their ugliness to be seen and their condition to be named before all. They cried for help. What an act of vulnerability, right? What an act of exposure. And yet this was their first step towards healing. When you are experiencing shame and rejection and worthlessness, what you want to do is hide. The last thing you want to do is come out into the open and be known. Like Adam and Eve hiding away in the bushes or covering themselves with fig leaves. And our shame... We seek to cover and hide. We want to stay in our dark places. We want to keep our shame hidden to manage it. But that's not the way to healing. The solution we see here in this story is to cry out, to be exposed, to name your condition, to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And that's scary. It requires vulnerability. It requires you maybe being exposed, to be known. And that is the first step, to have these dark places in your life be known rather than hidden. I love this quote from Kurt Thompson. He says, only when our shamed parts are known do they stand a chance to be healed. What would that look like for you? It might mean slowing down, um, stop uh, refusing to think about your past or some experience of rejection that happened to you. It might mean being willing to talk about something going on in your life that you are hiding uh, just to share a personal experience, um, years ago I was going through a period of really deep discouragement and depression, and my wife Sarah was really pushing me to go see a counselor, and so I finally agreed to do it just to get her off my back. And um, I was talking to this lady, and I was, she was asking me all these questions, and I was telling her all this stuff, and, and then I finally at the end said, you know, I mean, this is sort of helpful, thanks, um, I think I'm just under a lot of stress, maybe I could just come to you, you know, talk like a couple every, every, every other month or so. And she just smiled. And then she said, you know, I see that you are a very driven person. I see that you have a whole lot going on in your life. I see that you are out to win and succeed and accomplish and achieve a lot. And I see that all of this is covering over this deep sense of inadequacy that you are refusing to name. So, yeah, you'll be coming every week. (laughs) See you on Wednesday. I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. And for me, that was the beginning of the restoration of shame in my own life. And so for you, it might mean talking about places of hurt with a trusted friend who can be the presence of Jesus to you. For some of you who have experienced severe trauma, as I know that some of you have, it will most certainly mean seeking out a professional, seeking out a therapist of some kind, a safe place where you can be vulnerable and you can work through things that have happened to you so that these things can be known, and ultimately so these things can be healed by Jesus. So that's the first step, crying for help, being exposed, naming the places of shame in your life so that he can heal them. 
The second thing that we see that they do in this story uh, is they believe that Jesus sees and heals. I think that one of the most beautiful phrases in this whole story is in verse 13. Look with me in that verse. It just simply says this, Jesus saw them. Isn't that beautiful? These invisible outcasts, Jesus saw them. There's another story in the Bible about an outcast who experienced shame. Her name was Hagar. Hagar, whose name means foreigner, uh, was a teenage Egyptian slave purchased by a wealthy couple struggling with infertility. Their names were Abraham and Sarah. And Hagar conceived a child for the couple, but she gets on the bad side of Sarah, who not only violently mistreats her, but eventually kicks her out to die an abandoned death in the desert. And there in the desert, as Hagar is huddled up under a bush preparing to die, something miraculous happens. Do you remember? The mighty, holy, cosmic God of Israel comes to her. He says, little girl, where are you going? He comes to her. He listens to her. He blesses her. He promises protection to her. And in fact, Hagar is so moved by this experience that she names this God that she barely knows, El Roy, the God who sees me. She is the first one in the whole Bible to ever give a name to God, El Roy, the God who sees. And so here in this story in Luke 17, God is here. El Roy is here in the flesh in Jesus He is the God who sees the outcast. The ones that the world never sees, those who are invisible, the forgotten, the small, the weak, the abused, the isolated of the earth, Jesus sees them. El Roy sees them. And here's the good news, brothers and sisters. Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees everything that you're hiding from other people. He sees you in your isolated place of shame. He sees you when you feel totally invisible and unknown by everyone else. He sees you when you feel so broken that you will never be fixed. He sees you. He sees all. And he looks at you not with eyes of condemnation or disapproval. He looks at you with eyes of love, with eyes of affection and compassion to bless you, to love you, to restore you. Can you believe that Jesus sees you? He sees you even now. But he not only sees, he heals. Look what he says to these lepers. He says, go, show yourselves To the priests, he said that to them because the priests sort of served as the public health officials. Um, They permitted people to come back into the community. And as they went, the text says they were clean. That's it. See, according to Levitical law, if you were unclean, you had to go through all sorts of purification rites and rituals and exercises to make yourself fit to get back into the presence of God because that's how religion works. But Jesus disregards all of that with one single word. He pronounces you are clean. They're made right. Jesus had the power to do with a single word of his power what the entire temple and sacrificial priestly system was designed to do. You are clean. And do you notice, look look at this. When Jesus tells them to go to the priest, the one leper, the Samaritan leper, does something amazing. As soon as he looks down and he sees his skin and he realizes that he's clean, what does he do? He turns around and he goes right back to Jesus. Why does he do that? Why does he fall at Jesus' feet and give Jesus thanks and praise? Why is he disregarding the word of Jesus to go to the priest? Is he ignoring him? No, because he gets it. This man is the priest. This man is the temple. This man is the place of God's cleansing power. This is the one to whom the whole sacrificial system pointed. And friends, this is the gospel, the good news. 
We know, those of us who live after the cross, that Jesus exchanges his honor for our shame. That is the gospel. That Jesus, on the cross, takes all that is ours, all of our shame, all of our worthlessness. He takes what we deserve. He takes... He literally becomes defiled, the book of Hebrews says, and is crucified outside the gates. He takes our unclean status, and he instead bestows on us his status of honor. He claims us, pronounces us clean and clear and whole, and now in Christ, we are the beloved of God. Jesus alone has the power to do this. He can make you clean no matter how defiled you are, no matter how stained or broken or ashamed you feel, no matter what you have done or no matter what has been done to you or your record. One word from Jesus and you are clean. In him you are whole. In him you are the beloved. You are reconciled. You were given a highly honored status in the sight of God. As Psalm 34 says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered in shame. And our call now, brothers and sisters, is to believe this truth that Jesus pronounces you clean and clear and whole. And I pray that some of you would believe it even for the first time today, but even for those of you who've been Christians for many years, your call, like theirs, is to believe this, to believe this good news every day, despite what your voice of shame may tell you. Those voices of shame can be loud. The voices of others who remind you of your failure in your rejection can be loud. The voices of your own dark feelings can be loud. But the call of every believer is, as Jesus said in John 6, the work of God is to believe. To believe what is most true about you and that you are the beloved of God. I love this quote from Amy Carmichael. She said, our feelings do not affect God's facts. Our feelings do not affect God's facts. They may blow in like clouds and cover the eternal things that we do most truly believe. We may not see the shining of the promises, but they still shine. His strength is not for one moment less because of our human weakness. The fact, friends, the glorious fact that your feelings may sometimes cloud over, this fact that is shining like the sun is that you in Christ are pronounced the beloved. And that is what you are called to believe. Like the Samaritan leper, do not look to religion, Don't look to other people. Do not look to the number on the bathroom scale. Do not look to your job performance. Do not look to your number of Instagram followers. Do not look to your parents. Do not look to your friends. Do not look to your spouse. Do not look to anyone to validate your identity and give you worth except this one, the priest, Jesus. To him and him alone. Go to him every day. Praise him. Thank him. Keep your eyes on him. Worship at his feet. He is the priest. He is the only one who can pronounce you clean and clear and whole. Do you believe that? So that's what the lepers do. They cry to Jesus for help. They believe that Jesus sees and heals. And one last thing, they claim a place in Jesus' kingdom. At least one of them does. Let's look at this. The Samaritan returns because he alone, of all the lepers, recognized that Jesus is the priest and the temple and the place of healing. And I love Jesus' response. Verse 17. This is amazing. I mean, Jesus is so ironic, he could be a hipster. Listen to this. He says, verse 17. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And that word that Jesus uses, foreigner, is a remarkable, unusual word. It was a word that was only used as an inscription on the temple wall to describe those non-Jews who were anathemas in the temple system. 
One commentator writes this. The word Jesus uses here designates a foreigner whose ritual defilement is so odious that it would be grounds for death. This is not a word that was used in everyday common parlance. This is a word that Jesus chose to use because he knew that this man bore a double mark of shame. That he was not only a leper and carried with it all the shame that that meant, but he is also a Samaritan. He bears the mark of the hated cultural religious identity that was despised in the Jewish religious community. And yet Jesus looks at this man and he says, this is my guy. This is my man. This is the one I love. This is the, and he holds him up like this paragon, this example of faith before this astonished, jaw-dropping Jewish crowd. This is my man. And he's given a place of honor. He's given a place of, to contribute. I mean, we don't even know his name, but this man is recorded and remembered, and we are talking about him today, 2,000 years later. That's the kind of place of contribution that Jesus gives to those he reclaims from shame. Do you see that? Jesus restores him. In every way, a person could be restored. He can meaningfully contribute. He can be in relationship. He can give and receive love. He can receive a human touch. He can love others with the same love he has received. Who knows all that he did for Jesus in his kingdom? This is a powerful thing that Jesus does for those who suffer shame. He not only sees them and heals them, but then he gives them a place of contribution in his kingdom. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. Not many of you are wise or influential or of noble birth, But God chooses the weak things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The community of Jesus is a community of those who were formerly on the outside. If Jesus were a politician, y'all, his constituency would be the rejects. His voting block would be the outcasts. Those are the people that Jesus claims and calls into his community. No one is left out. No one is worthless. No one has nothing to contribute in the community and the kingdom of Jesus. Henry Nouwen was a man who struggled with debilitating shame, serious depression, struggling with sexual identity and social anxiety issues his entire life. And yet, through his writings... Hardly anyone has touched my wife and I more than this man in the way that he speaks out of his own shame. His own vulnerability has produced healing in us. He is, as he put it himself, the wounded healer. This is what Jesus does for those he reclaims from shame. That woman that I told you about, Young Duk Kim in Korea, she lived, she's now lived 65 years of her life on a leper colony isolated in the sea between Japan and Korea. And now, in a wheelchair, with no hands and one leg, she is an elder in her church there that she leads every week in song. She ministers to the other men and women and children in this colony throughout the week. And she said at the end of this interview, I am so grateful. There are so many things I can do for God and his kingdom. What a good life I now live. I see, I saw that young man that I told you about wrestle with his past of abuse. I've seen him come into a relationship. I've seen him learn how to meaningfully contribute to the church and the society that he's in. I saw that young woman work her way back to a place where she was able to reclaim her own dignity. I saw her get a job and hold it. I saw her now minister to other women who are also single like her. This is what Jesus does. 
to those who are on the outside, to those who feel worthless and condemned, Jesus says, you are seen, you are loved, and you are claimed by me, given a place to contribute to my community. And so we do that as a church, friends. We're called to reject the way of the world, not just looking to the beautiful and the affluent and the strong and the well-spoken to be leaders and contributors. This is why we have ministries like Jobs for Life that work to help those who are stuck in the shame that often comes from joblessness to help restore them to a place of contribution again. We want to see as Jesus sees. And not just see, but to welcome people in to give them a place in his kingdom. So friends, what are you going to do with your shame? What are you going to do with these places of darkness and worthlessness in your life? This is what we're called to do. We're called to cry out to Jesus and let these places be named and known and seen. We're called to believe that Jesus sees you and then he heals you and he pronounces you whole and clear and clean in the gospel. And you are called to claim your place in his kingdom, knowing that you have something to contribute in his community. So in the future, I pray that we as a church could do two things together. I hope you'll hear me on this. I love to see us do two things together. First of all, I pray and hope that we can be the kind of community where people can do this work. You know, don't you, that churches and religious communities are notorious for hiding the places of darkness. These are not the kind of communities that you often feel safe, where you can name the places of great brokenness and darkness in your life. Churches and religious communities can be places of great self-righteousness where we pretend like we are better than we really are and we feign our morality before one another. Friends, may we never do that here. Would you help me cultivate the culture of this place to be a place where it is safe and good to be vulnerable and open about the shameful places in our lives so that we can create a place where people can come clean, bring these things into the open, and ultimately be touched and healed by Jesus? Can we create a culture like that here? The second thing I I hope and pray for is that we would be a community that sees as Jesus sees. That we would see those who, because of their culture or race, because of their disability or because of their mistakes or because of their failures or whatever it may mean, they are on the outside. They are are the rejects. They They are cut off from the center of things. May we be a church that not only sees these ones that Jesus loves, but that we go after them and we claim them for Jesus, tell them of their belovedness in Christ, and then give them a place to contribute in the kingdom. May this place, may this community resemble the kingdom of Jesus who restores the rejected to a place of honor and love. May it be so for us. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you do invite us like those lepers to come out into the light, to come clean, to cry out to you for help. And Lord, I do pray if there is anyone here today who knows that they are suffering from isolation and their shame, that they would do so today. They would cry out first to you and then maybe to a friend, and that they would seek the help that you want to give. We pray for all of us that we all have these places of struggle in our lives, even if it is just daily struggling to believe the promises of God. May we remember that our feelings do not change your facts, 
that we are the beloved in Christ. And may we live every day living out of that identity that you have given to us in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.